State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this second season episode, we speak with Dan Radden, CEO and founder of Auxbus, about how to maximize podcast ROI. Auxbus is a software company that builds audio operating systems, guides users end-to-end, saving them maximum time, and producing professional quality results via proprietary technologies. Let's begin. Hi, Dan. How are you? Excellent, Vahe. Thanks for having me here. Likewise, I really appreciate your time as well because it's it's a growing topic and a lot of people are experimenting with podcasting and we need to go to people who, who are doing this day in, day out. So thanks for joining us. Appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. So um, before we, uh, today, we, I really want to speak about the podcasting ROI because, you know, like I was saying before, a lot of people are experimenting with podcasting and particularly publishers because they're seeing bigger publishers launching multiple shows and they're seeing some sort of a success from that. But it's not something that we can really just jump into. Um, and, and since you guys are working with a lot of other publishers, it would be great to know more about what drives success. But before we go into that, it would be great to just get a bit of background about Oxbus and, and more about you and how you got started. Sure, great. Well, that's a very open-ended question, and I'm going to try to answer it as concisely as possible. Feel free to jump in if you want to slow me down, speed me up, ask me further questions. But uh, here's the story. So I'm Dan Radin. I'm founder and CEO of a company called Oxbus. That's A-U-X-B-U-S. We're at oxbus.com. Oxbus is a software company, and we make end-to-end audio operating systems. And what that means is we transform whatever audio hardware you have, whether that's a professional microphone, a USB microphone like a Blue Yeti, or even Bluetooth headphones, microphones, or the built-in microphone in your laptop or phone, we transform that into a complete podcast recording system. And in the future, we'll take the technologies that we're building for podcasts and apply them to other kinds of media, audiobooks, voiceover and narration for video, and all the other adjacencies to podcasts. Because in, in the end, nobody gets into podcasting or audiobooks or any of these media because they want to become a producer. They want to get their message across. They want to be a publisher, which is why I think there's a lot of great fit between what we do and your audience. We take away all of the technical requirements so that you can focus on being the voice of the content as opposed to producing the content yourself. Oxbus is a year and a half year old company. We started in January 2017 and we are, as of this recording, 54 days from launch. We're going to launch our first product, which is our podcast platform, August 13th at Podcast Movement, which is sort of the de facto podcast industry trade show. And What it does is guide you all the way through the steps of creating a professional podcast. So we take you through putting together your show concept. We guide you through putting together content approaches. So what is episode one? What is episode two? What is episode 50? What are the ideas for episode 60? And we guide you with best practices. Once you have your content designed, we then take you through creating it. So that's really easy recording right in your web browser on your desktop or mobile device using whatever microphone you have. And you can even bring in guests, whether they're in the room with you or remote, just like we're doing today. So we have the ability to bring in guests or co-hosts, whether they're across the table from you or across the world from you. 
Once you're done creating your content and we give you a very guided way of doing that, we then automate post-production and distribution. So rather than having to figure out how to edit audio and figuring out how to adjust levels and mix in music and what do you do with it once it's turned into an MP3 and how do you get it to Apple and Google, we automate all of that for our customers. So it's a really easy way to create something that sounds very professional without having to be a recording engineer or a broadcast journalist. And that's really what we're doing. So Oxbus is free. Until we launch August 13th, we have a public beta available on oxbus.com. We will be pretty close to final in the middle of July, probably about July 20th, we'll launch what we're calling a release candidate. So that'll be feature and design complete. And then August 13th, we launch for real. Nice. That's really exciting times. I'm, I'm sure you're very busy as well. Preparing for that. <laughs> I think busy is a choice. So I'm choosing to spend this time with you. There's nothing else I'd rather be doing right now. Absolutely. That's, that's a good way of saying that. Uh, that's a good way of framing that. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of solution providers out there as well that are launching similar products as well, or that they have actually have that ecosystem there. What made you make that decision to move towards this direction? Sure. Great question. So I was working on a business of my own. So my background is I was a drummer. I went to Berkeley College of Music to be a music products professional. And I spent the last 15 years developing audio technology, working for companies like Sennheiser Microphones, Alesis Recording Equipment and Electronic Drums, Steel Series Video Gaming Headsets, and then most recently working for Harman, which was acquired by Samsung, first on their super high-end home audio equipment, $300,000 home stereos, and then later on an internal startup partnering with Under Armour to develop audio for athletes. And despite the fact that I've spent my entire adult life developing audio technology, when I went to start a podcast for this new drum business I was developing, I discovered the state of podcasting tools. And really, the state is, we're telling people who are regular people that don't have a lot of audio background, go bootstrap this professional audio equipment and use this recording software that was designed for music engineers and just go figure all this stuff out. And it's a really difficult, unsatisfying process. I discovered that not only did we need to codify the knowledge necessary to make podcasts successful and uh, easy to do, but we also needed to make the tools much simpler. And that really comes from my background with consumer electronics, taking something and making it really easy for the average person to use. I mean, when I was doing Under Armour headphones, I really learned a lot from, from sitting with the support team and seeing how many calls they got with people just saying, how do I turn on my headphones that I just bought? So I really discovered that we need to make things simple and guided all the way through. And I saw that nobody else was really doing this. I saw that there were some people that were focusing on the high end of the market, if you want to spend fifty or a hundred or one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, and you have a large brand or you're a celebrity, there are great solutions for you. And if you're an amateur consumer, if you just want to do something for fun and spend little or no money on it, there's great solutions for you. But you're going to spend a lot of time doing the editing and the production. And what I saw was for the entire mid market, small businesses, mid sized brands, there really wasn't anybody who was solving for that market to produce professional results and save the maximum amount of time. And that's really what led me to start Oxbus a year and a half ago. Yeah, there's that complete saturation. And then there's a lot of publishers 
in that bucket as well. So it totally makes sense what you're saying. I'm sort of in a similar situation as well. So that totally makes sense. How do you think the competition would ramp up like in terms of monetization or looking at that particularly for, for this space? Well, there are really three different business models that are in effect for podcasts today. In the US where I am, there's the ad-supported content model where, for example, you might be listening to a podcast for 10 or 12 minutes, and then there's a break for some commercials. It might be we've sold ads to Casper Mattress or ZipRecruiter, and then we're back into the content, and then another few minutes later, there's some more ads. And for certain types of shows, that's a really successful model. For a very small fraction of very high-end shows with large audiences, you can make a lot of money doing that. For smaller shows, one of the models that is becoming more successful is the patronage model. So there are sites like Patreon where listeners can pledge 5 or $10 a month to support production and defray costs of making this content. And that's more the artist model as opposed to the commercial model. So we have ad-supported, we have patronage. And then the third model is what is popular in China and some other places is the Netflix-style paywall model where you pay a subscription fee per month and then you get unlimited ad-free content. So it's the Spotify model, the Netflix model where we're going to pay 8 or 12 or $15 per month as a subscription to this content and then we can enjoy it ad-free. That model is being tested by a number of different startups here in the U.S. and abroad. So I think for different types of content, different types of shows, different sizes of brands and publishers, there are different ways that you can incorporate one or more of those models. You know, for example, Tim Ferriss, who's a very successful podcaster with a very large audience, has done the ad-supported model for a very long time and is currently running a test on the patronage model to see if that's a better experience both for himself and for his listeners. So I think you can mix and match those different monetization models, uh, which are ad-supported, patronage, and subscription model. That would be good to go into more detail around that as well. So how do you think people can mix that up? Like um, they have to obviously build up the audience to a certain level and then be able to um, go into patronage, for example, after they've sort of tried and tested monetizing their audience through ads, I guess. What, what are your thoughts around that? I mean, I actually think the patronage model is a great place to start if you have a very small audience, because even if you just get one or two fans or listeners giving you a few dollars a month, that's a good place to start. Whereas with the ad supported model, you really need to have a certain level of downloads or metrics to be able to go to an advertiser and make a business case that says, I will put your message, your brand in front of X number of listeners every month. So it's easier to start with the patronage model where people can just choose whether or not what you're doing is important to them and they'll give you some money to support it. The ad model takes some legwork. You, if you're small, you can do your own ad selling, but that's time intensive. Or you can work with a third-party company who might do ad sales, ad brokerage for you. And then if you have a very large audience, if, you're, if you already have a built-in large audience, if you're Tim Ferriss, if you're Joe Rogan, if you're Seth Godin, and you have a very large audience, then that subscription model might be the right play for you because some publisher like Spotify might want to pay you five figures to make your content exclusive on their platform. So I think there's different pros and cons to the, to the different models. And it just depends on who you are and how you go to market and how much time, frankly, you want to spend on monetizing this podcast. 
our sweet spot and our approach to the market is we work with small and medium businesses with a focus on positioning podcasts as content marketing. So rather than podcasts being a revenue stream, we focus on using them as part of the brand marketing portfolio. So if you think about them being adjacent to social media, if you think about them being adjacent to blogs, if you think about them being adjacent to YouTube videos, brands don't use those media specifically as revenue drivers, you use them to communicate your brand, your values, your messaging, and you don't social media as a means to monetize. And that's where we think the sweet spot is for small to medium businesses with podcasting. It's more portable than a blog. You don't need to be sitting there looking at a screen to listen to a podcast. You can do it while you're driving. You can do it while you're on the treadmill, while you're chasing the kids around the house. And it's more substantial with more depth and more color and depth than social media, which can be very shallow and fleeting. We hear a lot of people who are very successful Instagram celebrities who get into podcasting because they want something that's more lasting. And that's really where we see podcasting for small to medium businesses as content marketing. Definitely. It's a definitely another way of doing audience engagement as well, um, particularly for editors or journalists that are regularly covering news or doing news recaps. So that's definitely valid. So I guess just before we move on to the practical side, um, what was that point of validation that you got saying that now you can start moving on to this? Um, was it just, I, I could see from your website that a lot of your background in terms of the type of clients that that you're sort of beta testing with are from from your background. Did, did that help coming from that, from your background to, to, to get that adoption from those clients and then move on to prioritizing that solution? Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, this is my first startup. This is my first company. I've always been a corporate employee before this. And I think that your network is everything in getting started and people who know you know your work ethic, know the values, your ethics. I think they're really important in helping you establish yourself and get your feet on the ground. So I'm very fortunate to have a broad network from my corporate career of consumer audio companies, pro audio companies, musical instrument manufacturers, pro audio video companies. That's the core of my network. So in one sense, those are the people that I know. So those are the first people that we've marketed to. But also, a lot of those brands and their products are aspirational to our core customers of small to medium business owners. Because as you know, most small to medium businesses do some content production, whether that's podcasting, whether it's YouTube videos, whether it's advertising in podcasts. So my background in pro and consumer audio has prepared us well to create social proof in the eyes of our prospective audience for our software. That makes sense. Yeah, and when I was working with other startups as well, it's always been back based on their corporate experience and then they wanted to take that entrepreneur entrepreneurial step to make that uh, the, the niche that they found an opportunity for to realize that opportunity. So good on you for doing that, that Dan. So let's let's move on to the, the next part of our conversation and uh, let's go really into how to measure podcast ROI. But I guess obviously before we do that, we have to reverse engineer that. So you provided us with that piece, which you also published on your blogs around how to measure podcast ROI. So just for our audience out there, it would be really great to just work backwards and explain to our audience on how to actually measure ROI and what the steps are to do that. Sure. There's a lot of backstory on why podcast analytics are 
not as good as they could be and are not as complete and holistic as some other types of digital media. And I won't bore the audience with a history lesson on why podcasts, which started out as really a cottage industry of hobby media that are now a mass medium with one in three Americans listening monthly, one in four listening weekly. That's the same in a lot of other countries. Now that we're getting into a professional medium status with podcasting, there are some underlying challenges as far as analytics for podcasting. And we like to coach our customers to think about measuring success very similarly to social media. So years ago, we used to measure social media success based on follower count, which is a very crude metric for how you might look at how many people you are touching with your brand or with your media. And it's a great first step to be able to say there are X number of downloads that I get in the first week, in the first month, in the first 60 days per episode, but they are very crude and they don't really measure impact on the brand. They just measure how wide is your buckshot flying to sort of make a, a rough analogy. What we like to focus more on is engagement because in the same way as social media, it used to be about getting to 10,000 followers, it's really much more now the currency in social media has become about quality of engagement. And I think it's the same with podcasts. It's you can measure a success of a podcast based on how much is it shared? How many people are creating clips out of your podcast and sharing them with people? How much are people referring your podcast to other people? So it's really about building trust. Because if you think about it, implied in sharing a podcast or implied in making a clip out of a podcast and putting it on social media, that means that that person that's going through that effort to make that sharing action trusts you, trusts your message, trusts your brand. And that's really what the power that audio has. If you think about it, video has a lot of capabilities to communicate powerful visual concepts but it can be very easy for videos to, be, to feel overproduced and slick. And there's an honesty about taking away the image and just listening to the person's voice. You know, you feel like you can hear their soul when it's just audio. So if someone takes the effort, takes the time to share a podcast, it really means that they trust your brand. And I think that is the core of how we're trying to measure success, particularly for brands and businesses. And that said, you know, there are lots of ways that you can get quick snapshots of success that are much faster to measure. Things like download count, things like how many of your listeners are listening within the first few hours after you release it. And those things are great. But the reality is most listeners don't listen to a podcast the minute it comes out. They listen when it's convenient for them. Podcasts are a lot like radio in that there's people talking, but they're different from radio in that people can listen whenever they want. So there's not quite as much value that I place on immediacy of listening, listening within the first hour, within the first day, within the first week of publication, as I do with engagement. That said, we at Oxbus are working on developing some proprietary custom analytics that try to use some algorithms to compute ROI on podcasting. And nobody's really done that yet. ROI on podcasting. How do I know that every dollar I put into investing in creating a podcast, in making something that sounds professional, in booking good guests, how do I quantify the impact of that on my brand? So that's something that we are developing behind the scenes. We're not quite ready to share how it works or what it is yet, but know that that is something that we know is something that nobody's doing because again, podcast companies are either focused on very large brands and celebrities at the top end, 
or they're focused on individual consumer amateurs who don't really care so much about analytics. So we are trying to take a different approach and focusing on small to medium businesses. And we know brand lift and return on investment are really important to our customers. So it didn't exist. So we're building it. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I see other I see other uh, people in the space trying to also do holistic analytics as well. But like you said, not to go into too much of that detail. Let's let's direct the conversation to 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 this approach. So, let's say someone wants to start a podcast. Let's let's take them through the steps of making it happen. And then I guess you know in your post that you've you've shared with us as well, you've mentioned uh, the ways to measure success. Let's for the time being assume that. It's going to be based on unique downloads and uh, subscribers, but it's going to be long-term because there's things like you mentioned around looking for consistency of publishing and your traffic as well. So do you, would you mind just going through one example of let's starting from scratch? What's the w- best way to start from scratch? And then how can we measure ROI using existing KPIs? Sure. Like unique followers and, and sorry, downloads. Yeah, great. So we typically, so we work with a group of two dozen professional engineers and producers because not everything that we do is currently automated. You know, not everything is in our software platform and we have no intention of automating our human producers out of existence. And because we have this relationship with these professional producers, we learn a lot from the work that they do. They produce more than 1800 episodes of podcasts each month. And when you have that kind of scale, you're able to use that data to create patterns of what is predictive of success with a podcast's launch. And we've learned a few things from all of these efforts that the producers have done. One thing we found is Netflix and other media services like Netflix have conditioned us all to binge when we discover something that we like, we wanna watch or listen to a lot of it. So, one of the good predictors of success in launching a podcast is don't launch with one episode, launch with a batch of episodes. And with our Auxbus Media customers, this is our high-end production agency, we typically recommend 10 episodes on day one, on launch day. Now, you don't necessarily need to have 10 episodes to be successful, but you're much more likely to be featured in Apple's New and Noteworthy and be algorithmically recommended in some of the other services if you have enough base of content where if somebody discovers what you're doing and likes it, they go and listen to two or three or four episodes in a row. So that's one of the first big takeaways is launch with a batch of content on the first day. Another is timing your launches because we do see that one of the most popular times people listen to podcasts is either in the morning when they're getting up and doing their workout before they go to work on their commute into work or on their commute home from work. So from the data perspective, the best time to release new episodes is Tuesday morning about 5 a.m. in a local time zone. And it's not really super scientific that it needs to be exactly 5 a.m. It could be 6 a.m., 7 a.m. But you want to get new episodes into your listeners' feeds so that they can listen to them at the times when they listen the most. You can imagine that some people actually do listen while they're working. If you're doing something like operating a forklift, you might be listening to podcasts all day. But if you're a knowledge worker, you might only have time to listen to podcasts on the drive into the office, on the drive home from the office, and maybe while you're at the gym. So you want to think about which of those time windows is most successful or most likely to predict listening by your target audience. 
So those are a couple of data points that, that impact a good successful launch. The other question that you asked was about what the process is of actually going through and creating a podcast. And I'll take you through the four steps that we coach our clients through and the sort of the framework that we've developed our software based on. We start with planning, then we create, produce, and distribute. So planning is taking a product management style approach to defining what your show is. I come from product management and I know it's really important to be able to answer these three questions for any product I ever pitch to anybody at any company. What is it? What problem does it solve? And who is it for? So if I can't answer those three questions for my show, I need to do a little more work on what my show is. You know, for example, what is it? My show is the state of digital publishing and it uh, what that is, is it's a show for people who are publishers in the digital space, and it has interviews with subject matter experts and best practices that have helped them be successful. That's my, what is it? Who is it for? Well, that's it's for digital publishers that are creating media in the modern um, economy, something like that. And then what problem does it solve? I want to know the best practices for a particular digital medium so that I can do the best uh, based on what the experts say is the thing to do, something like that. And you know, I'm making this up as I go, but what is it? What, who is it for? And what problem does it solve? If you can't get to those three, then you don't really have your show concept refined enough. And once you have your show concept refined, you've got to look around and look at the competition and see who else is doing things similarly what are the adjacent spaces? What are your competitors doing that you do like, that you want to copy or expand on? What are some of the things your competitors are doing that you don't like, that you want to do differently? And what are some things that aren't being done by anybody? What are the white spaces that you can own? And if you can really figure out competitively how to build your special beachhead, that's a really powerful way to put together a show concept. So who is it? What problems does it solve? Who is it for? And then doing a competitive scan, really important getting started. Then we take our customers through developing episodes. And it's a really a similar process of being able to say, this episode is about this, it's for this listener, and here's the problem that it solves for them. Here's the answer to the question that they might have. And we'll go through and help them discover from best practices how many of them should be monologues, how many of them should be interviews, how many of them should be roundtable discussions or field recordings or journalistic storytellings. And we use data to help our customers answer questions about how their content should be approached. So now we've got our show concept, we've got our episodes developed, so we know exactly what we're going to talk about. We might want to prepare if we have guests as far as doing research, and we go into recording the show. The way that that works in Oxbus is we've got a really simple recording interface. We help you go through and think about the segments of your show. You might have an intro, you might have some music, you might have a monologue, a main content section that might be a, an interview with a guest like we're doing right now. You might have a closing monologue and then some music or something like that. So we take you through thinking about your different segments and then we have you create those segments. And you might not do them in the order that you're actually gonna produce them. A lot of people like to do the main content first like you might be doing right now where we're having an interview. You might wanna add your intro and outro later. And we make it really simple so that you can build it up just like it's Lego blocks. And from there, you've created your content. You've got your raw recording done. Then we take you through automated production and distribution. We know that nobody gets into podcasting imagining, 
I'm really excited about learning how to engineer audio. I'm really excited about learning how to fade music in and out. So we've built automation, robotic process automation, that makes it so that you don't have to do these things. We're making it really simple so that you can focus on talking, interviewing your guests, sharing your knowledge, sharing your subject matter expertise, and then we just handle the production. If you're doing it yourself, you might be doing it in a program like Audacity or GarageBand, Adobe Audition, Pro Tools. These are... Uh, software programs that are really designed for music and audio recording engineers, and they're not really designed for consumers. But if you have some audio or video editing editing expertise, you might be able to do it yourself. It's very time consuming, but you might be able to do exactly what your creative vision entails better in a manual way. We try to make it as time efficient as possible. And then the last step is distribution. And this is everything from outputting your file to MP3, getting it up onto a media host so that it can be shared, syndicating it to Apple, Google, Spotify, and all the places people listen to podcasts. And then there's all the marketing steps that go along with distribution. So things like creating your title of your episode, writing your show notes, if you have transcripts, taking them from a raw transcript that might be done by machine learning and turning it into something that somebody can actually listen, uh, actually read as a newsletter or a blog post. And then there are other marketing steps that you might do optionally, like creating social media posts, like audiograms, where you might have a static image with some audio and maybe the, the words pop up on the screen. You might want to have an Alexa skill for your Amazon Alexa. And there are lots of other steps that you can take to market your podcast with social media, with blogs, with newsletters. Um, we try to automate as much of it as possible, but we know that there's no one solution that's right for everybody. So, Okay, well, finding the white spaces. What are some of the um, tactical and useful angles you found in working with your clients that they've been able to leverage? Because you know they might they're working in more broader mm -hmm. industries than what we're we're focusing on now. How have they been able to differentiate themselves? Well, I think there are a couple of ways you can do it. One is thinking about what the core ethos of your brand or business is. Are you a customer-centric brand? Are you a technology-centric brand? Are you a storytelling brand? Are you an aspirational brand? So thinking about, and most brands have already done this, you know, thinking about your overall branding, the podcast should fit right into it. The podcast should be an extension and fit right into the way that you do your website, the way that you do your social media, the way that you do your blog, the way that you do your YouTube, all of this should fit together in what's called an omni-channel approach. And I'm sure that your listeners are probably familiar with that, but that's just having consistency between all of your different media so that as somebody discovers your business or brand, they can have their own adventure moving through the different types of media and have a consistent experience that has a through line and ties everything all together, but they can take whatever path they want, starting with Instagram and then going to Twitter and then moving to the podcast and ending up on a blog post, for example. I think a couple of good examples of brands that have created good white space, like one of, the, one of my favorites is Trader Joe's, the uh, food retailer. Uh, there's a show called Inside Trader Joe's, and it's a really effective series because it shows not only what they do and how they source their products and some of their values, but they really talk about the personalities behind the brand and they show some of the individual people behind the scenes at Trader Joe's. And I think they just did a really good job of not being salesy. I think one of the things that is important to get across, and I'll 
amplify this a couple times is podcasts are not really great sales tools. They're great marketing tools. They're really good for building your brand, reinforcing trust, building closer connections with your audience, but they are not great tools for saying buy now. People don't listen holding their phone in one hand and a credit card in the other hand. It's really about the long game with podcasts. It is not a buy now button medium. So Trader Joe's did a great job of building customer loyalty with their brand, with their series inside Trader Joe's. And I think there's lots of great ways that you can think about finding white spaces. A lot of companies that have established brands have already thought about what white spaces exist and they map onto podcasts very nicely. But I think that we all know the typical business frameworks for finding white space, you know, SWOT analysis or pest analysis. And, and uh, I'm sure that uh, you can put some links in the episode notes to SWOT analysis and pest analysis and some of the other typical business school ways of thinking through finding yeah. opportunities that are untapped uh, among your competitors. But I think generally speaking, any of the ways that you would approach finding the voice for a brand map onto podcasting. And I don't think that a podcast should have a very different brand from an overall brand. I think they should be very consistent and just feel like another way that you express your master, you know, umbrella brand as a whole. So for Trader Joe's, I know you spoke about top level that the results of the, the, with their success was around brand loyalty. So from the outside, what did you notice from their branding that has helped them with their overall efforts? So like, I know you said brand loyalty. So that, that like, again, did you, are you able to see increased number of downloads from them or did, did you see um, in terms of mapping their content strategy that it's helped them with their social following or what did you see specifically? Uh, are you referring to with Trader Joe's? Yep. Well, they're not a, a client of ours, but I wish they were. But, um, you know, outside, yeah. it's really more about conversation. It's about people feeling like this brand is more approachable and relatable. Whereas I don't think that you could tell me another supermarket chain that you feel you have some kind of personal connection with. Whereas if you've listened to the six episode series inside Trader Joe's, you might feel like Trader Joe's, the brand is your personal friend or acquaintance. And I think that's the power that podcasts have the ability to transform a brand into a relationship. And that, that really is what it's about. So it's very difficult to measure. This is why we think that we need to create our own custom analytics to be able to measure ROI, to be able to measure brand lift. We know that that's something that isn't currently available because most of the analytics are focused on either celebrity or individuals. And we are continuing to develop the algorithms that will drive ultimately what we will launch as Oxbus custom analytics. That makes sense. So let's look at now ROI in terms of, you know, because the, the, we spoke about the planning and creating and you may, you gave some really good benchmarks on how much you need to go with launching that. But, you know, like you mentioned, there's that editing process. Mm -hmm. So I know there's also out there and what I, just to be transparent, I use an outsourcing solution to help me with create show notes and everything else. So what's, if, if you, depending on whether you, you just, a pod, um, someone who's listening to this now wants to do this internally or they want to outsource it or, you know, look at Oxpos to help with um, even automation because a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of solutions out there where you can just upload the file and it'll give you the transcript. Mm -hmm. 
what are what's the best way to maximize the ROI in terms of time and cost on that? And how much do you think it should cost for an episode to produce? Wow, that's a big question. So as far as what the best ROI on podcast creation and production services is, that's going to depend on the individual brand or business. There's no one blanket answer I can give that's going to answer that question. Our view is for small to medium businesses, you want to save maximum time because small to medium businesses have a lack of time, a lack of resources. You don't typically have a dedicated media producer on your staff. So we're focused on trying to save the most amount of time. If you're a large organization and you have richness of resources, it may make sense to do everything in-house because you might have the talent, you might have the resources, you might have the personnel to do a really great job in-house. So it really is going to depend on the type of organization, the budget, the individual organizational characteristics. So I know your hope was that I was going to give you a single answer, but I can't. And uh, it would be wrong for me to try to say there is one answer that will fit all. I think you have to look at your organization and its strengths and weaknesses and how much time you want to invest in podcasting. That said, you don't necessarily, to do a podcast, you don't necessarily have to do transcripts. You don't necessarily have to have show notes. You probably want to have show notes because while today it's very difficult to get your podcast indexed, based on audio alone, it is we're in the early days of Google indexing podcasts based on audio. So what that means is Google announced just a month or two ago that they're now able to use natural language processing to take audio files, make them searchable like text and indexed in Google search. So sometime in the future, we will actually be able to be discoverable as individual podcast episodes based on the content and not based on the show notes. At the moment, though, they're being more favorable to their own Google. That's right. So this is very this is very early days. You make a good point. So it is still valuable to write show notes today, and show notes are basically the SEO of podcasting. So I, it wouldn't be my recommendation that most shows today don't do show notes. They're valuable. They're the way that you are discoverable, but that's going to become decreasingly important over time. So it is something to invest in today. It may be something that is less important to invest in in the future. On the topic of transcripts, you know, there's lots of machine learning automation software that can run a speech file through and spit out a transcript. The reality is they're pretty good. They're 80 or 90% accurate in terms of word-for-word accuracy. But if you've ever read a direct machine learning transcript, you probably know that we don't speak the way that we write. We don't always speak in complete sentences. We're not thinking through our sentences for readability in the future. We are thinking through, how do I get my point across in real time? We're not planning it out. We're not editing it. So there is some curation that's necessary for transcription. Transcripts are great for the purposes of being able to repurpose the content from a podcast for use in a blog, in an email newsletter, as a post on your site, as an article. But there's definitely some investment necessary for transforming a raw transcript coming out of machine learning and turning it into something that somebody could actually read. And I think those two areas, the show notes and transcription are good places to invest if you want to maximize ROI on your podcast because they make it repurposable. Another area that can improve ROI is some webcams, having some video 
along with your audio and having maybe some lighting that makes your video attractive. So now not only do you have an audio recording, not only do you have a written version of it because of transcription that you can use for blogs and other posts, but now you also can post the thing to social media, to Instagram, you can post it to YouTube and other video platforms, Vimeo. So this is another way that you can create more content marketing bang for your buck. Finally, another service that can help with ROI on podcasting is taking your podcasts and turning them into quick, easy Instagram posts and other social media posts. We know that podcasts aren't great for social media directly because they're just audio and people if they're given a choice between listening to something and looking at flashy objects, they're going to pick the flashy objects. So it's very important that if you're trying to share podcasts on social media, you have some visual element to them, whether that is a video, whether that's a still image with some transcription words that pop up as you go. But it's important to have a visual element to keep people's attention when you're sharing podcasts on social media. So I think we've talked about transcription, we've talked about show notes, and we've talked about repurposing podcasts for social media using visual means. I think those are three really great areas that can take a podcast and increase its ROI. Absolutely. No, thank you for responding to that. I want to circle back quickly back on, um, I guess, cost of producing. Maybe we can tackle it this way. How much, what's an average salary of an editor or someone who's focusing on dedicating producing, a producer who's focusing on producing podcasts and editing podcasts? I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't know. Um, and I wouldn't expect to know. The way that we work with our human production team is that we have a joint venture with a company that that's all they do. So we have a joint venture where we work together. They provide human production services to us and guidance and consultation as we develop our software services. But uh, I think I'd probably be doing a disservice to all of the professional producers and engineers out there to just guess a number. So I'm going to decline to 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 estimate there. Okay. No, th uh, then I'll just edit that part out a bit. No but I just want to maybe just touch on the fact that maybe another way of justifying ROI is that if you, if you are outsourcing or producing so many episodes and um, you find that it's worth hiring someone internally, maybe you can justify the ROI of hiring someone versus outsourcing that way. But um, that, that's, that's fine. Um, I guess let's look at the final aspect, like you mentioned, about launching and distribution. So with in terms of looking at um, getting more unique downloads and everything else, you know, we, uh, we can't go, there's a, there's a whole different conversation around optimizing for iTunes or because a lot, the majority of, downloads come from there, unless you have your website as well, which you can drive traffic directly to your podcast episode. But there's obviously steps in terms of promoting that as well. So looking at number of reviews, because that also that influences your ranking as well on, on iTunes. So how do you think people can go about maximizing their use of promotion? Do you think they should focus, particularly when you're starting a podcast, do you think it's worth trying to push to get more reviews on, on your iTunes so you can get more downloads? Or do you think, just from your experience, looking at pushing through your website or how do you think, or doing a combination of both and trying to tackle them both? What, what do you think is the best time spent in initially promoting a, pod, a new podcast? I think there are a lot of little tweaks that you can make that make some difference, such as launching with a batch of content we know can be very powerful. 
releasing new episodes on Tuesday or Wednesday mornings can be really helpful in terms of having your show show up at the right time. But I think the most important recommendation that I can make is create a lot of content consistently. Consistency is the key to success in podcasting. It's a long game. It's not something where maybe I gave the example of Trader Joe's. They can be successful with a six-episode run. But most of the successful podcasts that make a lot of money or create a lot of brand lift are very consistent over a long period of time. And you can think of it like I I come from the music industry, so I like to think in record company terms. And it's your back catalog where you make your money. If you think about the Rolling Stones going on tour to promote a new record, yeah, they're going to play the new songs and people are going to buy the new album but people really want to hear Satisfaction and Brown Sugar. And people are probably still buying and streaming those old records from the 70s and 60s and 80s. I think building a huge catalog of content is the way to win in podcasting. So being really consistent so that people expect every Tuesday morning, there's a new state of digital publishing. That's the way to win. There's lots of ways that you can do promotion and you can appear on other people's podcasts. So you get access to their people, you could take over their feed, you could do a guest episode for them. There's lots of things with social media and blogging and advertising and other podcasts and all of those are successful. But if you don't have, you know, these are all the sizzle and the stake is having lots and lots of content and being really consistent about your content. I know it's not sexy and I know it's not the one trick that people want to hear, but it's doing the work that makes you successful. It's being very consistent over a long period of time, being open with your listeners and saying, I'm going to take the next three months off, but I'll be back on October 1st. And just being accountable and regular about publishing your show. That's the way to be successful as a podcaster. Yeah. I've seen that as well, even with my podcast, when I've launched a second season where it's steadily growing as opposed to trying to really push hard for it. Have you seen, yeah, it's not, and again, it's not to be tactical or trying to just trying to um, look at this in terms of vanity numbers, but when when you're looking at promoting your podcast for the first time, and I just want to encourage people because there's, there's that, there's always that refrain of even though you have a good idea, you have that resistance of launching. Is there a, a the best way of um, just getting people out there to, to listen to your podcast? I think one of the easiest ways if you're starting from a small or no audience is to appear on other podcasts. You know, exactly what I'm doing right now, appearing on your show will benefit Oxbus and will benefit me because people who have never heard of Oxbus before and people who have never heard of me before will be exposed to me because of your show. So I thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. I think this is the best way. It's cross promotion. We get to share our audiences. You know, we will promote your show on our social media. People who have never heard of your show will hear about it for the first time. I think this is a really powerful way to build your brand from scratch and, you know, for very little cost. We're basically talking about a half hour or an hour at a time recording an episode and maybe doing some promotional work, but this is much more powerful than investing in spending money on promoted tweets or, you know, uh, promoted other Facebook posts or trying to buy ads. I think that exposing your brand, your message to other people's feeds is the best way to get started. hundred percent agree with you. And that's, that's, that's helped me as well. So I'm, I'm all down for that. Do you think there's a time when 
you know, publishers in, in our space, like the small to medium sized space, should consider using paid social or paid promotion to really just drive up the numbers. If they're like saying, I'm ready now to, because they might have started, like you said, on a patronage model, but then they said, I want to get this to be more mass market or more broad, broader reach. Have you seen download numbers or any? Again, I don't want to try to pigeonhole you, but just is there a time when you can say, I'm ready to amplify this and really go and push paid to do that? You know, from my perspective, and, and again, I'm not the podcast marketing expert. I wish I was, but there are some other people that I'd be happy to refer you to who are experts in this part of the field. Yep. From my from my perspective, I would rather spend money on in-podcast advertising and appearing on similar podcasts. I, that's, a, I think, a better use of my money than spending money on social media. Social media is good if you already have a big brand, but if you don't, you're kind of just yelling into a black hole. So I think there's much more value in in-podcast advertising, which performs really, really well has very low CPM rates today compared to a lot of other digital media, good response rates, good click-through rates, good brand consideration rates. And appearing on podcasts, again, costs you nothing except for your hour. So I would invest there rather than paying Facebook more of your money. Makes sense. Let's, let's look ahead. So like you mentioned, in less than 50 days, you guys are going to be launching. What's your anticipation? What's, um, I guess there's going to be that natural excitement and ramp up initially, but I guess from there, what, what do you see the plan ahead for you guys? Well, great, great. So August 13th, we will launch V1 of Oxbus. So a guided end to end software for small to medium businesses using podcasts for content marketing. We'll be adding new features each month through the end of this year. In January, we will have some significant additional features that will roll into the platform. Uh, existing users of Oxbus will just get them for free. They won't have to pay for them. Uh, this isn't anything that you download or have to upgrade. This is just web-based software. So you're just going to continue to get new features every month from us for the foreseeable future. We're going to take these technologies and apply them to adjacent media spaces. So the next place that we'll be looking is audiobooks, which is really similar to podcasts, but kind of like a long podcast with chapters. And then we'll take what we've built and apply it to other media. So we have some aspirations to do some things with narration and voiceover for video. And we see some other industries outside of audio media where good outcomes are driven by quality of audio. So look to us to be not just a podcast company, but an audio technology company in the future. Yeah, I've definitely seen, and I've interviewed Edward Champion, who's very much focusing, using the podcasting platform for audio storytelling. So um, it's definitely interesting. It will be definitely interesting to see what kind of lie ahead with that. So um, just on a final note, Dan, What's your advice? Because I know we spoke a bit about how you moved from your corporate job to, to the startup. What's maybe some top tips you can provide in, in jumping in and getting it started in your own venture? Man, I can talk about this for as long as you have. I know. Same, same <laughs> here. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, there's always some key things that come to your mind always when you want to give some of the advice. From my perspective or from my experience, I would say knowing your why, knowing why you work is really important. And for me, I knew my why early on, but I couldn't map that why, which is making audio easy for people who aren't audio insiders. Uh, 
mapping that why onto an opportunity that looked like it was worth me foregoing a paycheck for two years so that I could build something for hopefully a very successful future. Uh, I couldn't find that for 15 years. I knew that I wanted to start a business or a company of my own for a long, long time. And part of getting there, I knew I wanted more education than I had. I had a music business bachelor's from Berkeley College of Music, which is basically a music degree with some business. I wanted to have a real business degree, got an MBA to make sure that I knew where my knowledge ended in areas like accounting and finance and legal services, because I wanted to know exact, I wanted to know exactly where the point was where I should bring in an expert and not trust myself. So getting more education was great for me. It helped me understand a lot more analytical ways of thinking through things and just learning my limitations as a professional. You can't do everything yourself. You can't know everything yourself. And having some humility and being able to say that is really powerful. Yep. And then finding the right opportunity, whether that's something that you're searching for, which I did for 10 years, and lots of prototypes, lots of trials, lots of side projects later, this found me. I wasn't searching for it. As I mentioned, I was starting a drum business. I wanted to create a podcast that didn't sound amateur because as an audio professional, I thought it would not be suitable for my brand as somebody who's built audio technology gear his whole life to have a podcast that sounded amateur. And I discovered this opportunity that is multi-billion dollars in size. And then that opportunity led me to the bigger audio opportunity that it's not just podcasts, it's audio media as a whole. And clear audio is a huge opportunity as we, as a global culture, want to get our heads out of screens and want to spend more time with our eyes up. And the macro trend of voice interaction with devices, things like Siri and Alexa, we want to spend more time with our eyes up looking at the world and less time looking down at screens. And as somebody who spent his entire career in audio before it was cool, it's incredibly rewarding and exciting now to be in a time when audio is cool. And it's exciting when someone says to you, what do you do? And I say, I work in audio technology. They say, oh, that's so cool. Whereas for the rest of my career, it's been, oh, that's, that's nice. Why don't you go work in video? Or why don't you go work in gaming? And now audio is having its moment. And I am perfectly prepared to take advantage of this opportunity and this timing. So patience for the right opportunity to find you or for you to find the right opportunity education, you can't get enough of it. Doesn't necessarily need to be going to university, could be doing courses, developing your skills, could be reading, could be apprenticing, but keep educating yourself, lifelong learning. And just being, I guess I like to say having a gut of steel, being okay with the fact that you're probably not going to make money for a long time. Things aren't going to go the way that you wrote the first business plan and just being adaptable and flexible. And, you know, it was just my anniversary. We watched our wedding video and my dad said to me, one of the things he admires the most about me is the way that I take life's punches and I get up off the mat and I learn from every experience. And that really is what being an entrepreneur is about is just knowing that whatever is in the business plan is not going to happen. Whatever's in the financial projections is not going to happen and being adaptable, flexible, and resilient enough to be okay with not knowing what's around the next corner and just optimizing and capitalizing on whatever comes your way. Definitely. And particularly with that, that's an education piece in itself because sometimes emotional intelligence, I guess. So I definitely share the same things with you and I'm still on my journey as well. And I guess with that, Dan, I really would love to uh, wish you all the best with the launch and 
it's yeah. You, obviously, you've got to start with podcasting, and then the sky's your limit. So, good luck with everything, and thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you, Vahe. It's a pleasure to have been on your show. If you wouldn't mind, I'd just love to say to your listeners, if they want to learn more about Oxbus, they can head over to oxbus.com, A-U-X-B-U-S.com. Try our beta for free. It'll get a facelift in about the middle to end of July, and then we launch in August 13th. It's free until that time. You can create and get produced as many podcasts as you want at oxbus.com, and we'd love to hear not only what you love about it, but also what you dislike about it, because this is a great time for us to make something for early users to teach us how we can make it better. So thanks for the opportunity to be here, Vahe, and uh, best to you. And thanks to all of your listeners for listening to this point, because we're an hour in, and uh, it's quite an accomplishment to listen to an hour-long podcast. So thank you. Thanks, thanks, Dan. Everyone, oxpost.com. Thanks, thanks again. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing Podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.